Well, we narrowly averted another government shutdown, but something interesting happened during the last government shutdown, and it had nothing to do with a wall, and had nothing to do with policy or democracy. What happened was people began to realize how fragile their finances were. Uh, because people were out of work, they began to realize how much they were living paychecks to paycheck. And uh, nerds who study this kind of thing found out that over 60% of Americans could not cover a $400 emergency if that came up. Which $400, I mean, you're going to spend that on your average trip to the dentist. $400 will barely fix anything on your car. Uh, people found out that uh, most Americans spend more than $400 a month in prescriptions. And uh, I want you to think about that because I don't know if you live paycheck to paycheck or what your financial situation is like, but I want you to think in your mind, if you couldn't work, how does your financial future look? And with that in your mind, I want to make you aware of another story. Because in April of 2018, the Dumont Public School System in New Jersey received a check from the estate of Genevieve Via Cava for $1 million. And what makes that significant is Genevieve was not a trust fund baby. She did not inherit any money. Uh, she was not married to some, you know, New Jersey mobster or casino clerk. In fact, Genevieve was single, but she was a special ed teacher for the district. So I don't know what you perceive teacher salaries to be, but I can tell you from experience, they're not super awesome. And so here's my question. Uh, according to the Google, the average federal employee makes $84,000 a year while the average teacher in New Jersey makes $58,000 a year. So how did we come to the place where a federal employee can't cover a $400 expense while a special ed teacher can give away a million dollars to her school? Well, that's easy. Priorities. And it's kind of uh, like when you have laser-focused vision, you can accomplish anything you want to. Uh, Dave Ramsey says that if you'll live like nobody else now then you can live like nobody else later. So maybe a better question would be, would God rather have you in a position where you could give a million dollars away or have you in a position where you're struggling to come up with $400? Depending how you answer that question, it's going to dictate on what you get out of today's message. Uh, because I can guarantee, depending how you answer that question, I can give you some tools to help you get to the place where you could give a million dollars away. Because I believe that God has a plan for your life that includes generosity. So I can guarantee you, I'll give you some tools that if you'll take them out of this place, you'll find yourself in a position much better than you found yourself coming in. But it's up to, do, up to you what you do with it. I can only tell you what the Bible says. I have no power of your life to help you change it. You have to decide, you know what? This is for me. That word was for me. I'm going to do something about it. So write this down. When you believe wrong things, you make bad decisions. I told you last week that if you learn it wrong, you live it wrong. Well, when it comes to your finances, when you believe wrong things, you make bad decisions. And here's what I can tell you with complete impunity. Most Americans believe wrong things about their money. And therefore, they're making bad decisions. How do I say that? Because I can put dollars to donuts 
that if you and me went out for a cup of coffee right now and I asked you, are you rich? You would say, why do I need to pay for the coffee? And I would say, no, I can pay for the coffee, but I still need you to answer my question. Are you rich? And I could put dollars to donuts and almost every single one of you would say no. And you'd say, I am not rich. When the fact of the matter is, the sole fact that you live in this country, you're rich. Everybody in this room is rich. 33% of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. That's less than we just spent on our imaginary cup of coffee. 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. And so if you make more than $3,650 a year, you are in the top 20% of wealthiest people on this planet. You're rich. Furthermore, if you own a car, one car, if you own it, you are richer than 94% of the world. You're in the top 6% of wealthiest people by owning a car. Some of you are so rich, you own two, three, even four cars. Now, those are just numbers. So when you hear them, you still don't believe that you're rich. It does nothing for you. But the reality is, you're so rich that at some point this past week, you got in your rich car, and it started up with no problem because it had rich people gas in it, and you drove out of your house to a restaurant, and you drove past five other restaurants to get to that restaurant because it's your favorite one. And when you got to your favorite restaurant, somebody sat you down, and they gave your kids crowns and something to draw on, but those rich snobs didn't even use them because they were too busy playing Fortnite on your rich cell phone. And you're so rich that, that you ordered a water and the person that oh, brought you your water, they didn't have to pump water from the ground. They didn't have to walk miles to get the water. They flipped on a switch and they had pure, cold, uh, filtered water at their fingertips. And they knew that you're so rich and pretentious, they planned ahead and they froze some of that water the night before so that your rich mouth could have something cold to swallow when you got in there. And somebody else took your order and then they took your food demands to a different group of people who are there for the sole purpose of making you happy. And somebody made your salad and somebody else cooked your steak and nobody had to hunt for the meat. There weren't aborigines out back trapping cows or fishing for salmon. And, and, and you, uh, nobody had to pluck a, a chicken for your buffalo chicken. In fact, I would venture to say you're so rich, you have no idea even how to butcher a chicken because you always go to the store and you buy boneless, skinless chicken breasts. And you're so rich that after you got done eating at your favorite restaurant, you got back into your car, drove past a different set of tin restaurants. And when you got to your house, you pushed a button. And what happened? A garage door opened and you were able to pull your fancy car inside your garage. But there are places in this world that to explain that to them, you'd have to make up a word because they don't even have a word for garage in their vocabulary. And you you would have to tell them that you have a house for your car and you would have to communicate to them that you're so rich that your car house has three rooms 
and there's two rooms for your two cars, and there, you'd have to communicate all this through a translator because there's literally no word in their language to communicate what car, house, and garage even means. And you would tell them that you're so rich that two of your car, house, rooms fit your cars, but in that third room is where you stock all of your stuff because there was too much stuff to even fit inside of your actual house. And so you had to put it all in there. And then when you got into your, uh, on your way into your house, you flipped a switch and what happened? The grass got a drink of cold water. And you're so rich, you can feed your grass water and, and you want it to be green like all of your money. And so you didn't have to pump that water. And again, you didn't have to walk miles to get it. You just were able to flip a switch. And so then you climb into your house that's climate controlled, set at a perfect 70 degrees. And you take off your rich man's shoes with laces and everything. And you put them into your closet, a closet that you had to walk into You didn't stand in front of your closet. You walked into it. I've been places in this world where people's houses are literally smaller than my closet. And you look around your closet and there's clothes hanging everywhere. But what do you say to yourself? I've got nothing to wear. And to make yourself feel better because you have nothing to wear in that closet, you walk out of the closet into the kitchen to the freezer and you you greet your good friends Ben and Jerry because you didn't have enough to eat at your favorite restaurant. And so you dip into the Americone dream. Mmm, it tastes so good. And I don't bring this up to make you feel bad. I bring this up to remind you that when we were getting our cup of coffee, you told me you weren't rich. How are you going to tell me you're not rich? You lied to me and I'm your pastor. You liars. Wrong beliefs. Bad decisions. That's what it is. It's a bad decision to lie to your pastor. It's also a bad decision to believe uh, that these things are just for your benefit. It's a bad decision when those things are occurring at the expense of generosity. Am I saying going to a restaurant is wrong? No. Am I saying going and having your own car and house and all those things, is that wrong? No. It's wrong when those things are occurring and preventing you from living a life of generosity. It's a bad decision when all of your dollars are tied up to paying off debt. Which if USA Today is right, then you have $17,000 of credit card debt. And you have roughly $30,000 in vehicle debt. And you've got $50,000 of student loan debt. And we're already up to $100,000 that you're in the hole and we haven't even talked about your house yet. How does this happen? Wrong beliefs, bad decisions. That being said, let's get to the Bible because that's what we all came for. And the Bible makes it clear this is not entirely your fault. Ephesians tells us that we're in a spiritual war here and you've got three enemies. Scripture makes it clear that your enemies are the world, the devil, and yourself. Your enemies are you, your own sin, the world, and the devil. Now the good news is the Bible actually gives us the remedy to all three. We've got the antidote and we don't have to have Ethan Hunt steal it back from us or for us. You know, I mean, that's Mission Impossible 2. Don't worry about it. You can check it out later. Uh, But here's the cure for all three of those spiritual viruses. The devil, we defeat him with humility. God gives grace to the humble. Pride is what got the devil kicked out of heaven to begin with. So you want to be the devil? You're humble. Your flesh, how do we wage war with it? Integrity. 
You develop moral uprightness. You don't succumb to the temptations that you bring up in your own mind. And the world, you beat the world with generosity. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. If you're a guest with us, we're in part two of a series of messages called Home Improvement. I am taking on the role of Wilson W. Wilson Jr., imparting to you wisdom from across the fence. Tim Taylor and Al Borland could not make it. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're under 30, and that's okay. You'll have to Netflix Home Improvement. But I want to talk to you about radical generosity because the surest way for you to win this spiritual battle is to develop radical generosity. And make no mistake, your money is a spiritual issue. Jesus talks about money more than he does any other subject in the Bible. And the reason most people can't afford a $400 expense is because they believe the wrong things about money. And they're not generous because they're scared about how much they'll have left over, which if statistics are right, it's currently nothing, ironically. And what's the opposite of fear? It's faith. That's why this is a spiritual issue. Your checking account is a direct reflection of your view of God. So I want to show you this in your Bible. If you brought it, I hope you did. Go ahead and grab it. You need to find 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, there should be a table of contents at the front of your Bible. You can just look for 2 Corinthians and the page number associated with that. And you need to find the big number 9. While you're getting there, here's what you need to know. There has been a famine in Jerusalem. There are many people who are in need. One of the Christian leaders of the day, a guy named Paul, he set up a GoFundMe page and he's on his way to uh, the churches that he helped start, by the way, to ask them to be radically generous and give to the famine. So he's traveling all over Asia asking church members to give in faith to help with famine relief in Jerusalem. Okay, you still with me? Nobody. Do I need to start over? We can talk about the whole rich thing again, but okay. Famine in Jerusalem. That's where we're at. Second Corinthians 9. Thank you. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonians' believers to begin giving. Now, that's a veteran move by Paul. Classic. Do you see what he was doing? He was telling them, like, no pressure But I've been telling all these other people how generous you all are and how awesome you are. And I've been traveling around to different churches and have been telling them that, you know what, they probably don't need to give because of how much you all are going to give. And uh, once you contribute, we'll probably have the famine relief met, but you you know, don't even worry about it. But what's, what's crazy is Paul brings up these Macedonians and this church in Macedonia, you need to know, was incredibly poor. When Paul traveled to Macedonia to preach the gospel, he was greeted and, and all of the guys had mullets and they were living in trailers, not double wise, they were living in single wides. And when Paul showed up and the guys went to come and, and talk to him and welcome him into the city, he saw them and they all had 
tank tops on and they had oil stains on their tank tops because their Monte Carlos with a big number eight on the side, they were all a little bit miley and they were leaking oil. But these guys needed to take care of it themselves. And Paul, he ignored all of that and he started talking about how there's this famine back in Jerusalem, but he was on his way to Corinth because the Corinthians, they're super rich. Like they got Kardashian money over there. And so he, he wanted them to know that, that he was on his way. And the Macedonians were like, well, hey, you know, I've got a washer in my backyard. I can scrap that for iron and I can give you a little bit of something. And somebody else was like, well, you know, it was a good day for me at the stand. I sold some Husker Do's and Husker Don'ts, you know what I'm saying? So like I can throw in on, you know, this famine relief as well. And Second Corinthians 8.2 says that they... The Macedonians are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich, in rich generosity. And Paul, he's a wily veteran. He knows that Corinth is the richest city in Greece next to Athens. And he knows that they're super proud of that. And so he comes to them and he's like, well, you know, these rednecks in Macedonia, they've given a ton of money. What can you guys do? And then he continues on in ver- verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives what? What's that word? Cheerfully. God loves a person who will give hilaros. That's the Greek word used there. Uh, it's, the, it's the same word that, that we get the word hilarious from. God loves when you'll give hilariously. That's awesome that you, when you give a ton, you find that hilarious. And what's super interesting is last week, we talked about how God commands us to love. And even when you don't feel like it, you're still supposed to love. But here, according to this text, you're not supposed to give unless you feel like it. Why? Because generosity isn't something you do, it's who you are you're going to feel generous all the time and you're just going to give all the time. We'll come back to that because you don't believe me. But verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor and their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you because generosity is who you are. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Write this down. Being rich and being wealthy are drastically different. Being rich and being wealthy are drastically different. The Corinthians were wealthy. They had a lot of money. The Macedonians, on the other hand, were not. They were poor. They had nothing. Yet Paul says they were both made rich 
because of generosity. A guy who traveled with Paul uh, recorded this for us in Luke chapter 16. He writes, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, being rich has nothing to do with money. Being rich has to do with your purpose. Being wealthy has to do with your paycheck. So with the rest of our time this morning, I want to help you discover how to be both. I want you to be able to walk out of here understanding true riches and having some tools in your tool belt that can make you financially wealthy. For the reason that Paul gives us in verse 11, so that you can always be generous. That's what your wealth is for. So before we can discover either one, you need to know if you're trying to do this for you, it's not going to work. If you're trying to be wealthy for you, it's not going to end well. That's your flesh. That's one of your enemies. Remember that? So first, let's talk about true riches. What are true riches? Well, I'll explain it by saying you are two parts. You are body and soul or body and spirit. You can describe it either way, but there's an immaterial part to you, your soul, and there's a material part to you, your body. The science community would like you to believe that you are just a conglomerate of chemicals. You are nothing more than a random firing of DNA code, but you know that's not true. You know you're more than that. You know that you're more than that because if you were just a series of chemical compilation, people could just treat you however you wanted or they wanted because you're just chemicals and you know you're more than chemicals because you don't want to be treated that way and you also don't treat anybody else that way. So you know you are implicitly more than just some random connection of of different DNA and uh, you believe that there's a material part to you and an immaterial part to you. You might not be able to describe what that is yet, but you know you're more than just some chemicals. There's more than meets the eye or the microscope, as it were. Going back to my point, true riches are the immaterial part to you. Being wealthy is the material part. True riches is the spiritual, and, and being wealthy is the physical. That's important for you today because churches are the only institution capable of helping you with both. Churches are unique in that they can equip you for both the spiritual and the physical. We see that here with Paul. What's Paul doing? Helping people with famine relief, meeting their physical needs. Where? Through the church. It's part of what churches do. Churches have always helped people. Churches have always fed people. If you trace this back in world history, you'll find out that churches are the first institution to build hospitals, build schools, build orphanages. Churches are the first ones who worked with the elderly and the disadvantaged and the diseased. If you would go to any city in this country where churches have stopped doing that, you would immediately see the negative impact specifically on that local government and their finances because somebody's paying for these people to get help. So the church has always dealt with the body. But unlike civic governments, the capital C Christian church can not just give you some bread, it can also give you some bread of life. 
the church doesn't just help the physical, it also helps the spiritual. The Christian church, as long as it's preaching Jesus, can help you with the physical and the purpose of what the physical is. Which if you don't understand that, if you don't understand a purpose, all the dealing with the body and all the dealing with the physical is meaningless. If you can't help somebody's soul, what good is the soup? You tracking with me on that? You know, if you can, uh, cannot help somebody with the forgiveness of sins, but you give them some food, what have you done? You just prolonged the inevitable. And just to drive this point home, uh, to help you understand the material and the immaterial, I brought a tomato. Now, what can botanists tell me about a tomato? A lot. Botanists can tell me about the varieties and why this one is red and why it's round. And they can tell me about water and pH balances and sunlight and what I need to do to grow a tomato. But there's one thing of a super importance that a botanist can't tell me. And that is why. Why this tomato? See if uh, science can't tell me that. And if you understand why that's important, right? That the reason why the tomato is the difference between wealth and riches. Uh, you can get wealthy planting tomatoes. Go plant a field, make sure it's GMO-free because that's what everybody wants these days. And uh, you can harvest them, ripe off the vine and sell them and you become very wealthy. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just a tomato. But if the tomato is a wonder of the living world, something that's full of beauty and order that was deliberately created by God because God looked into the fullness of time and saw pico de gallo, and spaghetti sauce, some ragu, and God said, saw salsa, hello, and ketchup, and God saw lasagna, and understanding the tomato is understanding true riches. Why the tomato? Because God. And what does verse 8 say? And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. The reason you're in the mess you're in is because you don't believe God is the God of tomatoes. You don't believe that God is God over everything. You don't believe that God can radically provide you with all you need. And wrong beliefs turn into bad decisions. But how freeing would it be if you knew, if you knew God could provide all your needs? A lot of people like to project on to me and, and believe that I had just incredible faith because my wife and I sold what we had and we moved to Park City to start this church. But can I just tell you that it wasn't really that much of a faith venture. It's not that I had a bunch of faith because God, for the years prior to this starting this church, had always proven himself faithful. God had always shown up. Me and God, we've got this deal where I decide that I'm going to give more than I gave the year before, and I'm just going to see who wins. And every single time, God has always provided everything I needed. My wife and I, when we got married, decided to do the same thing. We're up to giving 14% of our income away. And in every situation, God has always shown up. God has always provided Himself faithful. 
So it wasn't that I had a bunch of faith. Now, certainly I was nervous, not because I didn't trust God, but because I didn't trust myself. I've never done this before. So yeah, I was nervous, but here we are because God is faithful. Amen, somebody. Write this down. True riches are found in your perspective, not your pocketbook. True riches are what you're thinking, not what you're spending. True riches is understanding that God will generously provide all you need, first spiritually, then financially. And true riches is realizing and knowing that you need God. You need to be in a relationship with Him. And you need to be forgiven of your sin because on some level you know that you're not living up to your end of the bargain. You're not perfect. You've made some bad decisions. And because God is only holy and sin can't be in the presence of God, you know that you need a way to be made right with God. And Jesus is the only way that you can be put into a relationship with God because he was perfect and he died sinless and his sinlessness gets put inside of you when you trust him as your savior. And therefore you can be put into a relationship with God. But God also knows you're not just a spiritual being. You're also a physical being. And he promises to meet both your needs because he is a generous God. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus gave up divine privileges and humbled himself in order to come to this earth. What song did we sing this morning? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That's why I'm so confused that the average Christian only gives away 2.8% of their income to the church. Whereas... Uh, Average American, they give away 3.7% of their income to charities. And I just told you the church is the only organization that can help you meet both of your needs, physical and spiritual. And I just told you that Jesus paid everything for you, and we can't give 3% of our income away. Well, if I had more, I would give more. No, you wouldn't. Because people who do these kinds of things for a living found that Christians who make over $100,000 a year, their giving went from 2.8% to 2.6%. Because when you have more, you spend more. And you need more. Martin Luther, the great theologian, is quoted as saying, a man needs three conversions. First, the conversion of the head. I know who God is. Then a conversion of the heart. I know what God did for me. And finally, a conversion of the pocketbook. Because money is God's greatest competition. And that's because you believe that true riches are found in your billfold, not your beliefs. But the opposite is true. And look, I know this is hard. I know our whole lives we've been barded with advertisements that say, spend this on yourself. You've worked hard. You've earned this. You owe this to you. Have you noticed how that's every commercial's main goal is convince you that you owe this to yourself because you've worked hard? What I think Paul is trying to help us see is you've earned it with what? You've earned it with breathing the free air God gave you with a mind God gave you for free in a country that God put you for free, 
God is saying, all of these things are for me. The fact that you were born today in 2019 instead of 1,200 years ago on a mountain in Afghanistan, you didn't choose that for you. You didn't say in your mind, I'm going to be born in the most prosperous generation in the history of the world to the most prosperous country in the history of the world. I'm going to be born in America in the 80s, the greatest generation of rock music of all time. You didn't say that. And if you did say that, please come talk to me because if you remember that whole situation where you decided where you were going to be born, I'd like to know that so I can have you escorted out and never see you again because you are crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like if you believe that you somehow did this, a Christian has a completely different attitude toward their possessions because they know it's all from God. Until Jesus has invaded your finances, you'll never have true riches. Now, in fairness, uh, you can't share anything if you don't have anything. And so we need to talk about having, uh, how to become wealthy. So you can write this down. You've got to start tithing, stop spending, and set up savings. If you want to become wealthy, then you've got to start tithing. You need to stop spending and set up savings. Let's talk about tithing. The word tithe, it's Hebrew. It's first established in the Old Testament. It literally translates one-tenth or tenth part. And what people like to do is they say, well, that was an Old Testament command, the, the tithe. We don't actually have to do that anymore because Jesus uh, abolished the Old Testament and the law, which is not true. Jesus didn't abolish the old law. He fulfilled it. Furthermore, if you'd read Matthew chapter 23, 23, and Luke eleven forty two, you would discover that Jesus clearly reinforces the idea that we should all still be tithing. And what's more is tithing isn't just giving a tenth, it's giving away the first tenth. Why? Because it takes faith to give first. It doesn't take faith to spend and pay off all of your bills and then uh, decide that you want to give money to God. That doesn't take faith. It doesn't take trust to give the leftovers. Can I point you back to our passage in Luke? Jesus said, Luke recorded, Jesus said, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? In other words, if you're not giving generously to God financially, you're only hurting yourself. You're not hurting me. You're not hurting this church. You're certainly not hurting God. He's infinitely wealthy. You're hurting you. Some of you say, well, I can't afford 10%. The answer is, if you suddenly had a 10% reduction in your income, what would you do? You'd figure it out. You'd find another job, you'd sell some stuff on eBay, you'd get a cheaper place, you'd get a different car. Now you'd be grumpy about it, and you'd be unhappy, but you'd make do. So why don't you make do now? How come God is the first thing that gets sacrificed when you feel like you don't have enough? How come God is the one who gets cheated? Here's what I can promise you. If you decided to do uh, giving back to God... Uh, the unhappiness that you would have felt when you had a 10% reduction in income, it wouldn't be there. You would have joy because you're giving to something that has meaning and purpose and you'd realize that you're being a philanthropist. How dare you call me that? 
No, that's a good thing. Philanthropy is a good thing. Philanthropist is a good thing. You're making a difference. What does verse 6 say? Only a generous planting will lead to a generous crop. Which means you can't harvest God's blessings if you aren't planting God's seeds. And tithing is one of God's seeds. In fact, I'm so committed to the idea of tithing. I have two rules at this church. Number one, if you feel like this church only wants your money, then don't tithe here. Tithe to a different church. And the second rule I have is if you feel like uh, tithing is something that you want to do, but like God doesn't come through for you, I'll give you your money back. If you tithe and you feel like God didn't with, uh, uphold his end of the bargain, which was to promise you that you'll be blessed and to have everything you need, I'll give you your money back. We don't need your money. But wrong beliefs equal bad decisions. And many people are making bad decisions. What else do you need in order to become wealthy? I said you've got to stop spending. Stop spending. You do realize unhappiness comes from comparison, Right? You are perfectly happy with your little shanty wallpaper until you saw shiplap. And you are perfectly happy with your little beat-up Ford Taurus until you saw the brand new F-150. And now you need something else. Again, am I saying any of those things are wrong? No, absolutely not. I'm saying if you can't afford them, stop buying them. Stop financing it. There was a study conducted uh, about 20 years ago now, and uh, they, they interviewed and, and researched thousands and thousands of millionaires, and they compiled all the information into a book called The Millionaire Next Door. And I uh, found out that uh, Dave Ramsey and his boy Chris Hogan just did the same thing and wrote another book. I have no idea what it's called, something about being a millionaire as well. But uh, the, the researchers talk about how their biggest shock is in the research was discovering how frugal millionaires are. Because we see all these professional athletes and rappers and actors and singers just spending money by the gazillions, and which is why over 90% of them will be bankrupt within 10 years of their career being over. Uh, but those who build wealth, the, the people that they interviewed, they discovered they don't buy expensive cars. The vast majority of millionaires have never bought a brand new car. Most of them will not spend over $30,000 on a car. They don't buy expensive suits, less than $300 a suit. They don't buy expensive shoes, less than $100 for a pair of shoes, Lord forgive me, right? They don't buy expensive watches. Their average house appraises for less than $300,000, And like our girl Genevieve, who gave a million dollars to her school, they built wealth over a lifetime. They have purpose. They have priorities. I would argue that your unhappiness, the reason you fight about money, isn't because of how much you have. It's because you don't have purpose for it. You want to be wealthy? Stop spending money. Start thinking about you 15 years from now instead of you right now and everything you think you want. Proverbs 13.11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Just for the record, 90% of those millionaires were first generation wealthy. We, we think, well, they must have just inherited all that money. Nope, they worked for it. They didn't win it, 
They built it up year after year and saved little by little. So here's your tool. You want to build wealth? Here's what you have to do. Give 10, save 10, live on 80. You want to become drastically wealthy within a few years? Give 10 of your money away, save 10% of it, and live on 80. And if you can't live on 80, figure out how to live on 80. Guarantee you, you can start doing this right away and you'll be drastically wealthy. Uh, Again, going back to our millionaire folks, less than 20% of their income is tied up in the stock market. That's something to think about. They diversify their portfolio. They buy real estate. They buy things that uh, appreciate in value. They don't depreciate. They don't take huge risks. They build wealth. Now, again, that's going to take some time. But if you'll quit spending and buying stupid stuff to impress daddy, to say, look, I finally made it, or to impress your neighbor for whatever reason, you don't even like them, but you want to impress them, stop spending money on stupid stuff. Start saving it, and you'll build a significant amount of wealth. Again, give 10, save 10, live on 80. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care how much money you make. It's a tool for your tool belt, and it works at any level. It's scalable. The more you make, the more you save, the more wealth you're going to build. So let me do this, and then we're done. What if verse 9 would describe your life? They shared freely. They gave generously. How different would your world look if that described you? How differently would the whole world look if that described you? That you gave generously. You shared freely. What if you didn't have to worry about money anymore? How much better would your marriage be? How many less fights would you get in? Number one reason for divorce in our country. Because when you believe wrong things... You make bad decisions. Some of you have made bad financial decisions. Some of you have made bad spiritual decisions. And the best news I can give you right now is God can solve both of them. Can I get a better amen than that? God wants to help you change your life, but for the purpose of you being generous. And what happens when you're generous, as our passage says, people will praise God. And you can either leave here mad that the pastor talked about your money or you can be here leaving here glad that God's got even a plan for your money. That God put you in the most generous, prosperous country in the history of the world. But too many people want to live their life closed-fisted and just hang on to what they've got. How are you supposed to gather anything else with closed fists? God is saying, I want to rain down blessing on you, but you've got nothing to hold it with. He's saying, I want you to live freely, open-handed, generously. And the more you give, the more you're going to get. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you'll give generously, God's going to give generously back to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we're asking you to do what only you can do right now. And speak to our hearts. It's a challenging word that we need to be generous with our finances.
This is a spiritual issue. God, I'm asking you to speak to us right now. And as we pray, I believe God is here with us and speaking to you. And he's challenging you in some ways. And I'm asking you to not shut that voice out. Hear directly from God. What is his plan for your life? Start thinking 15, 30 years. Start thinking generationally. What are you supposed to be leaving your children? God wants to do something in your life right now. What is that? For some of you, it's to change your financial habits. But for some of you, it's to change your spiritual habits. Some of you have never trusted Jesus. That He's the difference that you're looking for right now because you're not just physical, you're also spiritual. And it has nothing to do with you. And you've been trying to earn this and work hard. And Jesus is like, no, I've already paid that price. I've picked up your tab. And wrong beliefs lead to bad decisions. The fact of the matter is Jesus died for you freely. He gave it all so you could be back with Jesus. And if that's you, I just want you to say, God, I believe in your spiritual blessings that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And he rose from the dead and I can be raised to life. Please forgive me. Help me live for you. God, we love you. We praise you for everything that you've given us. We're asking you to help us figure out how to be generous and live prosperous in your world for the reason of leading other people to you. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.